I'm very excited about sharing with you what I've discovered in God's Word. Um, I, in one sense, what I've seen isn't new, but in another sense it is because of where it is in the Scripture and how it fits with, with uh, what we find there. I've really discovered and seen things that I hadn't seen before. We're going to be looking in John chapter 12. You might want to turn there in your Bibles. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. Um, it's on uh, page 899, if you're using one of our Bibles. And I'd encourage you to take the Bi- your, your Bible, or if you didn't bring one, take the Bible that's in the back of the seat in front of you and turn there. John 12, page 899. One of the things I discovered here that I hadn't actually realized before. It's, it's not like other people didn't know it, but I had never clicked with me that, that this is the last public discourse of Jesus. So it's the last sermon that he gave to the crowds. Everything after chapter 12 is Jesus speaking with his disciples and then in front of his accusers, uh, uh, Pontius Pilate and the others, at the time of his death. All of his public preaching occurred before this, and and chapter 12 is his last discourse. The way John the Apostle has arranged things, it's the last thing that he said to the crowds at large. And we pick it up at verse 35, and it says, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. That's it. That's the last thing Jesus said according to the way John has told the the account of Christ. That's the last thing he said to the crowds. And I want you to to realize that there's an invitation here. Look at verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. It's an invitation to believe. An invitation to believe in the light. And he, of course, is the light. And we picked that up in the beginning of our Christmas series in John chapter 1. Remember, it says there, in him, meaning in Christ, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. Now he's referring to John the Baptist there. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came came to bear witness about the light. Well, you see, that's what we've been doing in our Christmas series, looking at this theme of the light of the world as it appears in the Gospel of John, tracing it through, through the Gospel about Jesus being the light of the world. And so we went from, from John chapter 1 to John chapter 3 to John chapter 8, and now the last uh, significant place where the light of the world is mentioned is in John chapter 12. And here we find ourselves unexpectedly at the very last occasion of Jesus preaching to the crowds. And the, but the theme is the same. Remember in John chapter 1, 
It said he came, John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe. That all might believe. And so we come to Jesus' last words about being the light. And he says, I am the light. Believe. It's the same thing happening throughout. Now in this the way John, is, John the Apostle has arranged his gospel, John chapter 1 through 12 is one major section of the gospel. And then he moves on to his final words to his, his disciples and his death and resurrection. And what we have in front of us this morning is a conclusion of this major section of his book. And there's a four-part conclusion. He gives this invitation. And then... Uh, he makes an observation. And this observation raises a question. So he goes from this invitation to a question and then an explanation of this and then back to an invitation. It's a four-part conclusion to, this, to the public ministry of Jesus. And I want to walk us through those four parts. We've already, in a sense, we've looked at the invitation already. Um, Let's, let's see it again in verse 35. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus is saying, you're not a child of the light, but you can become a child of the light. Well, what has to happen in order for you to become a child of the light? You must believe. And so Jesus is saying, will you? Will you believe in me? That's the question that he's leaving with his audience. And therefore, it is the question that we are faced with. That you are faced with. Will you believe? Now, before we go on, I just want to clarify one thing. If you've been with us for months or years, you've heard me say this before, but, but we have to clarify what the Bible word believe means. Because we, the way we use the word believe in common English language today, it's not the same way that John, the apostle, was using it in his day. We kind of say, well, I believe that. And all we mean is, we mean intellectually, I agree with the facts. And that has to happen. But it's more than that. When the Bible uses the word believe in reference to believing in Christ, it, it means it has an element of trust in it. It's not just understanding the facts about Christ, but it's trust in him. You've heard this story, I think, about this man named Blondine. I think I'm, um, I'm pronouncing his name right. He was French. I don't know French, but Blondine sounds a little French to me, so we'll say it that way. He lived in the mid-1800s. He, he was a high-wire, tightrope artist. He made his fame doing crazy stuff, but none the crazier than uh, putting a, a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and he would cross Niagara Falls. I think he, I forget how many times he crossed it. It was, it was a major major deal in the newspapers and everything. He did all kinds of tricks of going across Niagara Falls and one of them was to, to walk a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. And he did it. And um, 
it's said, the story is said that on one of those times he got across and the crowd was going crazy. They thought it was fantastic. And he said, you believe I can take this wheelbarrow across? And they said, well, of course, we just saw you. We believe you can do it. He says, okay, you get in the wheelbarrow and I'll take you across. He said, no, thank you. Now, Jesus is infinitely more trustworthy than some guy on a tightrope with a wheelbarrow. But if the person in the crowd had believed in Blondine in the way that the Bible speaks about believing in Jesus, he would have gotten in the wheelbarrow. That's what it means to believe is you agree with the facts. I believe he is who he said he is. And I believe he has done what, he's, what it says he has done. He's died on the cross and taken care of the punishment that I deserved. I believe that intellectually, but now I trust him. And that's the invitation that Jesus is giving. Will you believe? But now, that's, that's where we start, the invitation. Now we come to this observation that John makes. Look, at, look again at the text. It's uh, the second half of verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. That's the end. That's the end of his public ministry. Verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. He's making an observation that many people Regardless of what they've seen of Jesus, they still don't believe. They reject the light that's come his way, their way. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. John, you can feel a little bit of, of incredulity in his voice. He's amazed at this. You, he's standing right there. You've seen him. You've heard him. And you still don't believe. He mentions the signs and the way John writes his gospel, he, he focuses on seven of the miracles. It starts in chapter 2 with changing the water into the wine at the wedding in Cana. Then he goes to chapter 4 and the healing of the royal official's son in Capernaum where the, the official came and said, my child is sick. And Jesus said, I, I healed him. Turn around and go. He didn't even go to see the boy. And the man went back and found his son healed. Then in chapter 5, he heals the paralytic. 38 years as an invalid. And the man gets up and he walks in Bethsaida. Then in chapter 6, he feeds 5,000 people with what he found, a little picnic lunch that a little boy had. All he had were five little loaves of bread and two fish, and Jesus fed 5,000 people. And then in chapter 6, Jesus walks on the water. You try it. In chapter 9, he heals a man who is blind from birth, an adult blind from birth, and heals him. He, he walks away and he sees. And then in chapter 11, he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. He had been dead four days. He was already in the tomb. They rolled the rock aside. He called in and he walked out wearing the grave clothes. And still, you won't believe. Later in chapter 20 of this book, 
John, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Those seven, John said, they weren't the only ones. There were so many. I could fill, I could fill a library with all of them, but I picked these seven to show you. And he says here now in verse 37, Though he had done so many signs right in front of them, still they did not believe. And you know what? So it is with people today. They still do not believe him, in him. And maybe that's where you are this morning. You've heard it explained, the good news about Jesus Christ. You've heard it proclaimed. You've heard it repeated. You've seen the truth of it in people around you who have believed in Jesus Christ. No, they're not perfect. They make mistakes. But you still have to admit that there's a difference about them than there is with all the other people in my life that don't know Jesus Christ, don't profess to know him, there's something different about them. You see that difference. And you have been spared an early death. You are here today when others are not. And the light is shining on you one more time. Are you going to remain in the company of those who are described in this verse, they still did not believe in him. Now this is the observation that John is making. <clears throat> but it raises a question. And the question is why? Why do people not believe after seeing him? And why? Why do they not believe? And here John uh, gives his explanation. So we've gone from invitation an observation and now an explanation. And in this explanation, he quotes the prophet Isaiah twice. Look at verse 38. Well, let me back up to 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then he quotes from Isaiah 53. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now, this is an amazing Passage and it raises question upon question. It's pushing us. It's pushing us to think maybe differently than we're, we want to think or to think uh, about God a little deeply than just on the surface. And to really catch it, we've got to go to the place where Isaiah quoted the second one, which is in Isaiah chapter 6. So hold your finger here in John 12. We're coming back. But go to Isaiah chapter 6. That's on page 571. This is that famous passage where, where Isaiah received his call to be a prophet. Isaiah 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. High and lifted up. He received a vision. He, he saw God. He saw, he saw the glory of God in a way that is reserved for very, very few of us. 
I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah was in the temple, apparently. And he says, above him stood the seraphim, angelic heavenly beings. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. God in his glory, so holy that the heavenly beings cover their face before him. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. He saw the Lord in his glory. And I said, verse 5, woe is me. That's what happens to us when we, when we get a sense of God and who he is and his holiness. What happens? We realize how unholy we are. He said, woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then look what happens. This is God's grace. It's a picture of what God does with us. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. It's always God who takes the initiative. It wasn't Isaiah. He, he felt undone. But it's not Isaiah that goes and does something to atone for his sin. It's the atonements made at the altar. And God takes the results of the altar and presses it onto your life and you find forgiveness of sins because God has saved you. You didn't save yourself. The work is done for you at the altar and then God puts that work on you. And then what happens? Verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And this is what happens when we've been atoned for, when our sins are atoned for and we know it and we've been made clean. We say, when God says, who's going to go for us? Then I said, he says, here am I, send me. That's what we do in our hearts. We say, send me, Lord. I'm ready, Lord. You've cleansed me, Lord. I'll do whatever you want, Lord. Verse 9, and he said, go and say to this people. So now, here's this commissioning. Now you're going to go. And this is what was quoted in, by John in John chapter 12. He says, now, you say to this people. By the way, the history is these are rebellious people. These are people rebelling against God. They're not turning back. They've been warned repeatedly. They're not turning back to God. And God says to Isaiah, now you tell them this. Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. There comes a point in which God does to your heart what you are doing to your own heart. You're hardening your heart You've heard, you've seen the light over and over. It's come your way. You've heard about Christ over and over again. And you keep rejecting. You keep rejecting. You keep closing your eyes. There comes a time when God then says, okay then, I'll close your eyes. You harden your heart and then God says, okay then, 
I'll harden your heart. You know, in Isaiah 11, how would you like to be told that? I want you to go preach and preach and preach. And they're, so that they don't listen. And he says, how long? That's what I would ask as a preacher. Verse 11, then I said, well, how long, O Lord? He said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. What he's saying there is, is until the punishment is done. They're earning punishment. And until the punishment is finished, that's what's going to happen. You see, what's happened here is that John has caused us to stumble into the mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Sometimes we recoil at, at, at the way in Scripture, but here it's the way John is saying things. Turn back to John 12 and look again at verse 38. Some of the, the way this, this language is spoken, sometimes it causes us to say, no, this can't, this can't mean what, what it means. In 37, he's saying uh, the, they, they didn't believe. In verse 38, it says, so that, in order that, the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled. And then he quotes that. And then look, 39, it says, therefore, they, they could not, therefore, they could not believe. Because... He's blinded their eyes. It sounds like God is blinding their eyes so that they wouldn't believe. And we wrestle with that. What's, what's happening here? But quickly, I just want to point out, I stopped reading at the end of verse 40. Look again at verse 40. Well, look at 41. It says, Isaiah said these things because... Why did Isaiah say these things? Because he saw his glory. And he spoke of him. He wasn't talking about us. He, he had a glimpse of God that you and I don't get. And he was overawed by that. And he began to speak about things. And in a way about those things that, that, pa that pass us by. Our little minds. He looked into God and God showed him things. And he began to speak. He could speak about God. To stretch, it stretches our, our minds. He dealt with the mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. He spoke of him, it says in verse 41. You see, there is an action of God here that is mysterious, and yet it is just. It does not overrule our responsibility, but neither yet is it subservient to our wills. Hendrickson said it this way, to try to get rid of the purpose idea in all this is entirely unwarranted. Any attempt to change the clear meaning of a text in order to bring it into harmony with one's particular theology is reprehensible. We should let the passage stand just as it is and not tamper with it in any way. He is not, God is not a cruel monster who deliberately and with inward delight prepares people for everlasting damnation. On the contrary, he earnestly warns, proclaims the gospel and states, as Jesus did repeatedly during his earthly ministry, what will happen if people believe and what will happen if they do not. He even urges repeated uh, he even urges them to walk in the light. But when people of their own accord and after repeated threats and promises reject him and spurn his message, then and not until then, he hardens them in order 
that those who were not willing to repent may not be able to repent. You see that, right? In verse 39, therefore they could not. They started off, I will not. They ended up, I cannot. And why is all this being said? Why is John putting this in his conclusion to this major section of his book? Leon Morris said it, tried to answer that this way. He said, this passage is very thoroughgoing. John makes it clear that the hand of God is in the whole process, even though this means that people do not see nor understand nor turn nor are they healed. God's purposes are not frustrated by the opposition of evil people. They are accomplished. Amen? God, God is God. This is one reason John is saying it. God is God and he saves. We don't save ourselves. He saves. And we little teeny human beings aren't going to frustrate his purposes. But there's another purpose in this. Why did John put all this here? Because it's a warning for everyone who hears, for everyone who sees the light but keeps resisting the light. My friend, you can shut your heart for a time, but if you persist, there will come a time where you no longer can open it. You can believe now, but if you persist and say, no, 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 there will be a time where God says, from now on, you cannot believe. Don't presume on God's patience. We're, remember, we're at the explanation part of this. And we're asking the question, why do the people not believe? And well, in some cases, it's because God's hardened their hearts. Because they've persisted and they've reached that point beyond which God's patience isn't going to go. But there's another. There's another answer to that question. Why don't they believe? Look again at verse, look at verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But they believed in a sense. But for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Why do people not believe? They don't believe because they love something else more than they love God. And so it is with you. If you're sitting here this morning and you've heard before and you're hearing again about the Lord Jesus, but you're not willing to trust him well, you're loving something more than him. It might be pleasure. It might be the approval of your friends or your associates. It might be money. It might be just your dreams. You think God's going to change your dreams and you don't want that of what you want to do with your life. It's basically, it's your own autonomy. You, you want to be in charge of your life and you love that supposed freedom more than Jesus and so you're not going to choose him. But I have a question for you. Are you going to love that which you love more than him now? Are you going to love that on the day when you see him? When you pass through that gateway called death and then you see him, are you going to love that thing more at that point? 
Friends, in the light of that meeting, your meeting with Jesus in the end, friends, there is nothing here worth loving more than Jesus. And look what he's done for us. He's the light of the world. He came to take away our sin. Trust him. Well, we've reached, I guess we've come all the way around from invitation to observation to explanation. And now what happens? We come back and, and John, the, the writer, what he does next is, is interesting. Because we see, remember in verse, the back part, the second half of verse 36, So when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself. That's the end. That's the end of his public ministry. So what is it in verse 44? We see the words of Jesus again. Well, what's happened is John then takes what Jesus had said in another setting and he puts it right here. He's the editor of this. He's putting it together. He puts it here as a kind of a summary of this is what is being said. This is what Jesus has said. And again, we find an invitation in there. John's just driving it home. What do you do with the light of the world? You believe. And what he does, he says several things. I'm not going to go through it all, but two is he gives a promise and then he gives a warning. Look at the promise in verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This is the promise. If we believe in Jesus Christ, he's going to pull us out of the darkness of our life and lead us into light. He's going to give you a transformed life. That's what he's promising you. A transformed life. Are you tired of your life? Tired of the slavery? Tired of the broken relationships? Tired of the anxiety? Tired of the meaninglessness? Of the searching and yet not finding? Of the loving only to be disappointed? Your life can be transformed. Walk, believe in the light of the world and he'll take you out of darkness and into life. And then, verse 50 He's promising eternal life. It's not only a transformed life now, it's eternal. Look at 50. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Eternal life is what he came to give us, to gain, to procure for us, and then to grant to us. And because the promise um, is eternal... That means that your punishment has been removed. You see, the problem with us, the basic problem, the fundamental problem that has to be fixed before the other problems, is that we've gone our own way and we've incurred guilt. We're guilty before God and he's just to punish us. But the light of the world came and he went to the cross And on the cross, he was being punished for my punishment. He was being punished for your punishment. So that he took it out of the way. So that now you can have eternal life. Because if he didn't take it out of the way, you'd pay the punishment and you would not live eternally. But now you can have a transformed life and an eternal life. So believe. Amen. 
cast yourself on Jesus. And you can have that. And then once again, though, he, he puts a warning right in here. Verse 47 and 48. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. What is it? The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You see what he's saying there? He's saying that when the word about the light of the world comes to you and you turn it away, Jesus says, well, in the last day when there's a judgment, you'll be reminded that you heard that word and you rejected it. So the punishment now that you're heading for, you deserve it. And it takes away all your excuses. So the word that you heard and rejected will be replayed before you on the last day and it will judge you. And you'll miss eternal life and you'll have to admit that it is your fault. On December the 23rd, 2018, in Allentown, the light has shone on you. And if you turn this away, on the last day, God will say to you, on December 23rd, 2018 in Allentown you heard and you rejected and you will go to your eternal punishment unable to make any excuse you will say I deserve it why am I this morning preaching this light to you you know I had someone I had someone say to me just the other day, this Christmas series hasn't seemed very Christmassy. <laughs> now, they were referring to the sermons because the, the, our decorations are very Christmassy. They're awesome. The singing has been very Christmassy. But the sermons in December haven't seemed very Christmassy. And perhaps it's because we haven't been talking about the shepherds and the, and the angels and, and the Christmas scene uh, perhaps it's because, you know, we haven't talked about gifts. Or I certainly hope no one thought I'd speak about Santa Claus. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. What we did was, when we were praying about what to do for December, we bounced off, I mentioned it before, we bounced off of John's letters that we had just studied. And in John's letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it mentioned the light of the world and it mentioned his incarnation, him becoming flesh. And we thought, why don't we go to the other big book that John wrote, the Gospel of John, and just see, did he say anything about the light of the world? And his incarnation there. And lo and behold, we found four main passages. Chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 8, and chapter 12. And so we began to study and follow it. And that's the way we do things here. I didn't, we don't pick an idea that we want to preach and then go look for a verse that supports what we already decided to say. We go to the Bible and let it tell us what to say. And I didn't know what was going to happen. But what happens in John is, it's the light of the world. Believe. 
It's the light of the world, chapter 3. Believe. Chapter 8, it's the light of the world. Believe. And in chapter 12, for the last time, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Believe. And so I ask this question. Why have I been led, we've been led, to say that message to you? Is it so that you, on the last day, will have no excuse for the eternal punishment you are going to? Is that why I'm preaching? So that you'll stand there in your judgment and and say, I'm going to my punishment and I deserve it. Is that why I'm saying this? Or is it because you today will decide to trust in Jesus Christ and have a transformed and eternal life? Don't keep saying no. Don't play with God's patience. If you persist in saying, I will not, one day you will say, I cannot. Jesus said, last words, public ministry, as presented by John. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become children of the light. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would take your word and use it in our hearts as we need it. Father, we, we who have, because of your grace, come to the Lord Jesus and believed we worship you afresh and again for what you've done for us. But now, oh Lord, I pray for those here who have never come to the light in the sense that you talk about it here. They've heard but never, never said, yes, I trust in Jesus. I pray and ask for them that you would help them to say to you, oh Lord God, I see it now that I deserve punishment because I've rebelled against you. I see it now that Jesus Christ took my place on the cross. And I believe, I trust you, I give my life to you now. Take me from the darkness into the light. Transform my life and give me eternal life as you promised. Oh Father, do this this in, in people's hearts, I pray. And in Jesus' name, I pray it. Amen. Amen.